Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to a very exciting show tonight on Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host. She is fighting back from her surgery, doing extremely well. Patricia Kirkman, PK, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing extremely well. I have parked my little walker, and I'm on a cane as of today. (laughs) Oh, hey, that's terrific. God. Yes. Oh, you betcha. I'm, I'm going to have you talk to the audience for a few moments while I take this call from Dr. Gallagher. Sure. Well, it's going to be an exciting Gallagher. show for us tonight, that's for sure. Dr. Gallagher has so <laughs> much information to pass on to us. It's not even no. going to be funny. Fact, yeah, you I show up wait. on the board and then you're able to hear the show and I'll bring you on. Okay. Oh, okay. I Love can it. hear you, Patricia. Okay. I know. And Dr. Gal, is, uh, he just needed some further instructions on joining us. So anyways, uh, this is going to be a show where you've got to fasten your seatbelts. We have the most amazing guest tonight, a board-certified psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. he is going to be talking to us about exorcism and are demons real we're going to find out all about that this evening with dr gallagher he is he's going to join us in about a second and i'm going to have him just wait hello dr gallagher you joined us live on the air and we're going to just make a couple of announcements and then we're going to bring you on to the show with us okay great hello so it's a pleasure to have you so pk just uh Yes. Quick, I know you took a look at the numbers of the word demon, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting. It has its own vibration to it. Well, I, I think what's really interesting is demon and devil both have a nine vibration. And nine is a very universal number. It's the best of times or the worst of times. And as we well know, devil and demon is the worst of times with what's going on there. But very determined. They get a hold. It's almost like getting caught in a, 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 a flaw type thing. Getting rid of them is not so easy. Very yeah, apparently so. Element. We're going to hear well, all about this tonight. Fascinating topic. I can't wait to have Dr. Gallagher on the show with us. I'm I know. And over he's... some information from him. It's just mind-boggling to think what's been out there that so many people try to ignore or act like it doesn't exist. Wow. Wrong. I know. Time people wake up to the reality of this, that's for sure. And thank God for Dr. Gallagher that he has the kind of 
courage that it takes to share his experiences and his understanding of this with the rest of the world. So let me introduce everybody to Dr. Gallagher. He is an American board certified psychiatrist. He's a professor of psychiatry at New York Medical College and also on the faculty of the Columbia University Psychoanalytic Institute, where he trained as an analyst. Now, Dr. Gallagher is quite a prodigy as a child, and it's all of his genius he brings to our show tonight. He is a magna cum laude graduate, Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Princeton University, where he studied the classics and won the class scholarship prize in ancient Latin and Greek. And he also played professional basketball in Europe. He's a tall guy. He trained in psychiatry also at Yale University. So I could go on and on here. He is an amazing man. He's written widely and given many talks, including on TV and radio and documentaries on the topic of diabolic possession. And he's writing a book. It is called Demonic Foes, a Psychiatrist Investigates Demonic Possession in the Modern United States. We are honored to have Dr. Gallagher with us tonight. So Dr. Gallagher, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for that kind introduction. Well, You've been waiting with bated breath to get a chance to talk with you, that's for sure. I, I know. Now, you, uh, I was reading about you. I know PK's been reading about you. We're, we're reading articles about your childhood. sounded absolutely idyllic. Was it? Well, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's childhood is completely... Idyllic, but you know, I came, I came, uh, you know, I came from a, a nice, loving Irish Catholic family in the suburbs of New York. So, uh, you know, we played a lot of sports as kids, and uh, you know, I certainly had. Uh, I was very fortunate to have very caring, loving, intelligent parents. I guess it's a rarity. It's a rarity, I'll tell you. And so you went on to uh, become a doctor, and you decided mm-hmm. to specialize in psychiatry. What brought you to becoming a psychiatrist? You know, growing up, uh, I mean, I really didn't have any contact with psychiatrists, uh, you know, th- thankfully. But... Um, you know, I, I I got intrigued by in college by reading, you know, psychoanalytic literature and psychiatric literature, and uh, you know, I, I just really wanted to do something that um, both allowed me to, you know, truly help people, uh, as well as something I found uh, intellectually uh, interesting, and so eventually I was, you know, able to. After after my training at Yale, remain in academic psychiatry and treat a lot of people, but also kind of study things uh, um, in the in the field of psychiatry and psychoanalysis. So uh, it's been a very fulfilling life. It sounds it. And now, did you go into private practice, or were you working with institutions? Well, both. You know, I mean, as a uh, you know, I worked I worked for Cornell Medical College for a while, and I'm still on the faculty at Columbia. Uh, 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 my main my main academic position at the moment is at New York Medical College uh, in Westchester County, New York, north of the city. But all the while, I do academic stuff and writing and 
you know, some research and, and certainly a lot of teaching. Uh, I've also been able to have a, a very uh, a very busy private practice, so I think I've had the best of both worlds. You certainly have. Now, yes, it just sounds great. Now, for you in your practice, do you find that you have any? Um, I know you have a multiple levels levels of diagnoses to work with people. Any particular disorders that you find populate your patients? Schizophrenia, bipolar. Well, I, I, I mostly I mostly treat yeah I mostly treat adult patients. So uh, I w- I will see a spectrum of of patients with uh, serious mental illness like schizophrenia or serious depressions, bi- bipolar illness. Uh, when I was at Cornell, I was very involved. They had a a, a program for uh, individuals with uh, severe personality disorders like bipolar disorders. Um, so I, I've really treated a wide spectrum of, of adult patients, and, and that too, uh, I think, makes the field more more interesting. Uh, uh, and you see you see a wide variety of different types of problems. Uh, so uh, again, that's that's been very fulfilling that I'm able to work with a wide variety of patients rather than just one patient group. Exactly, and and it's interesting. There seems to have been an overabundance of uh, bipolar uh, at today's versus what it has been in the past. Because I keep hearing so many uh, different groups that have been talking about, and they keep referring to the bipolar more than anything else I'm hearing at this point in time. Is it more profoundly evident now than it was before? Well, like everything else, you know, there are controversies about that. I. I, I think uh, certainly, uh, as opposed to when I first went into the field, Americans now tend to diagnose bipolar much more frequently than they did in those days. And in, in those days, in the early days, uh, 30 years ago or so, an awful lot of people were getting diagnosed as schizophrenic who are now diagnosed as bipolar. Uh, and a lot of young people, too, are who, who, who have sort of... Uh, Variable moods are being diagnosed as bipolar. Uh, there, there is a there is a uh, body of opinion that thinks it may be getting overdiagnosed now, especially in younger people. Mm-hmm. But these are you know these are kind of academic controversies that very intelligent people have uh, different opinions about. Uh, I, I, I think in young people it may be a little overdiagnosed, uh, but it's 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 a common illness. It's uh, much more common than, say, schizophrenia. And uh, so there is no question that there's a lot of people who, who do suffer from it. If hmm. a parent is bipolar, does it stand that the child or a child of the, of the mother would be more prone to be bipolar? More prone, I, I don't... yeah, which doesn't mean okay. it's always the case. Right. You know, uh, the genetic component of severe mental illness is is not trivial, but it's not always determinative. You know, there usually are a variety of factors, uh, biological and, and even psychological, which, uh, you know, contribute to uh, even the severest of, person, of uh, mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. So these are complicated phenomena that that draw from you know biological factors, psychological factors, sometimes cultural factors. 
Interesting. It's now, just incredible uh-huh. how much is out there for us to to learn from and that's available to, to us to learn today that was so secretive in the past. That's probably true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it I was think people kind of people are a little more open minded about these mm-hmm. things. And you know, we have we have these are still uh, you know, difficult conditions to, to suffer from, uh, but we have made some advances, you know. Thank God. <laughs> well, that's Thank a good God. thing. Now, how did you come to understand something about the world of exorcism? What was your introduction to this? Well, I sort of had a, an academic interest uh, to to a degree in it. Uh, you know, when I was at Princeton, uh, I basically studied um, ancient literature. Uh, you know, I studied, you know, the Greek writers and the Latin poets, and uh, I studied uh, biblical <laughs> biblical scholarship. And so I became interested kind of in the history of philosophy and the history of religion. And so I, I certainly was aware that throughout history, people have reported things like this. And as I got into psychiatry, I began to ask questions of myself mainly, you know, so does this stuff seem to be psychiatric patients? Is this cultural misconceptions uh, or are there true supernatural uh, and even demonic phenomena? And so I had some interest in studying these things even even before I finished, um, you know, medical school. And then lo and behold, after I got out of medical school, uh, after I got out of my residency, rather, at Yale, Pretty much to my surprise, uh, and I'm still not exactly sure why I was asked, uh, because almost everything I've done in this area, it's not something I really went out and sought or volunteered for, but maybe people thought, you know, I had an open mind about this stuff. Um, I I am a Catholic, uh, so I'm sure that that contributed to why people may have been open to consulting me about some of these very odd cases that uh, appeared to at least some people to be possibly demonic. So people would consult me. Um, Again, I didn't volunteer, and uh, I I became more and more, um, you know, more and more I, I, I studied these phenomena in depth uh, so that I could help people. I mean, that's really why I, I I I got involved in this. It was it was not theoretical. It was just to help people who felt they might be suffering from this stuff. Uh, by that I mean demonic attacks. And you know, I obviously kind of concluded what one might expect that that these phenomena of true demonic attacks were rare. Uh, and that many, many people more commonly were suffering from some kind of medical or psychiatric illness. And so people came to rely on me to help sort out, you know, the one from the other. It's incredible to take a look at how things have changed 
so people are starting to look and be more open to understanding and working with some of the subjects that you're talking about now. I think that's true. Uh, you know, in the old days um, of the early psychoanalysts, uh, it was a very secular mentality. And there were even people, including Freud, who were quite hostile to religion and spirituality. Although it's interesting that some of those early psychoanalysts, like like Carl Jung as well as Freud, had some interest in they had some interest in uh, you know weird phenomena that they would call paranormal and traditionally had been labeled either demonic or or supernatural. So people were aware of those phenomena, but they didn't really accept the traditional explanation for them and they 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 tended to pathologize them and say well these must be individuals who are uh mentally or physically sick uh and that's that's an understandable reaction because uh psychiatrists often see people who only imagine or only think they're being <coughs> excuse me who only think they're being uh, demonically attacked. They may hear a voice uh, uh, and they may say, well, the devil is speaking to me or something of, of that sort. And you know, we as you know, we as doctors, and, and throughout history, doctors were always consulted, by the way, about these cases. This is not something new. But uh, the doctors, you know, tend to conclude about a case like that. Well, you know, this individual is psychotic. This individual is out of touch with reality, and this individual is maybe has a, a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar or something along those lines. And it probably is true that you know people began to think, well, you know, maybe maybe all these traditional phenomena are basically just illnesses. But as I often tell people, then there are the exceptions. And they are more rare than mental illness, but but uh, I, I say to people, do you really think psychiatric patients can levitate, can all of a sudden speak foreign languages? Um, and obviously, patients medically or mentally uh, troubled can't do that. So there's got to be some other explanation for some of these admittedly rare cases. What, so what you spend a lot of time, it sounds like, ta uh, talking people out of thinking that they are possessed when they really just need traditional medical treatments. But you do have these rare cases. And you've right. been personally involved with an amazing case. And we've, we've got to get into this one because some things happened that you witnessed that there was no explanation for other than this was paranormal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want me to talk about that now? Uh, Let's go there, because I know the audience is just dying to hear about this. This is so fascinating that it happened to you, and you were brought into the, uh, this particular case. I mean, again, I, I'm sorry. Again, it, it started out in a very typical way in the sense that this was not a patient of mine. I mean, none of these individual cases of true demonic attack uh were patients of mine so this was a pa this was a, a a woman who 
a, a priest exorcist um, who knew me or knew of me wanted me to consult upon. And uh, uh, it was a remarkable case. I mean, it was, even in the words of the exorcist, uh, the chief exorcist who later publicly verified this on a, um, on a, on a radio program, actually, um, in his words, and he was incredibly uh, experienced, in his words, this was the most dramatic demonic possession case he, he saw in his whole life. And uh, I was introduced to her by what in effect was his assistant, another exorcist. So there are two exorcists involved in this case. I'll, I'll call the one his assistant. And his assistant uh, introduced me to her. And the night before I met her, it's the first time I met her. Um, my wife and I were in our bedroom in our house, and at 3 a.m. we had a number of pets, and we had two cats who just went absolutely berserk. I mean, they were re relatively placid cats, uh, well-behaved for cats. And uh, they, they uh, you know, used to get along with each other, and, you know, they kind of curled himself up next to each other on, on our bed in, in, in the bedroom. And about three AM they just went berserk. And I you know, know, I looked at my I looked at my wife and I said, you know, you know, what is this? I mean, did they have something to eat or did they grab a hold of some catnip or something? We'd never seen it and we actually had to separate the two. And I didn't really think that much of it until the next morning when I got introduced to this uh woman who the assistant exorcist said he was going to introduce me to because he wanted my opinion about it. And the first words out of her mouth, remarkable to say, the first words out of her mouth to me was, well, Dr. Gallagher, nice to meet you. And by the way, how did you like those cats last night? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's, that's an absolutely true story. In fact, I even have... Oh, a, wow. I even have a letter from her where this is the quote from the letter. Uh, she wrote it to someone else, but I have the letter. And, and she said, well, Dr. Gallagher seems like a nice, sincere man with an open mind. Uh, we did raise a little hell in his house a few weeks ago. Uh, so that was that was a, a pretty remarkable story. And again, you know, how do you explain this? This this is not this is not mental illness, you know. Um, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then so a few weeks later, I, I I tell another story. A few weeks later, um, I was actually on a telephone line, you know, one of the old landlines with uh, the exorcist because he had wanted me to. Uh, see if I could attend one of her exorcisms, which they had been planning. And um, I had already spent some time with her. Uh, in fact, we were driving in a car with her, the assistant exorcist and myself, and she was in the back seat of the car at the time. And all of a sudden, she goes into uh, essentially a trance state, 
And out of her mouth come these incredibly vile comments, um, almost all to the effect of the following, in a, in a slightly different voice, although it was clearly coming you know, through her vocal cords. It wasn't a disembodied type of voice. So, And the voice would say things like, uh, I'll have to censor it a little bit, but it was, yeah. <laughs> we said... We said leave her. We said leave her alone, you effing priest. She's ours, and and that was that Ooh. was a fair a fair summation of mm-hmm. the dialogue, and uh, it was mostly directed against the priest. And um, she she also called him uh, you monkey priest, which I thought was interesting that she would pick that term because to me mm-hmm. it indicates what uh, demonic spirits think about human beings they think we're just monkeys so um that's news to me yeah and uh well it was it was obviously sarcastic but you know i'm saying there was there was obviously some point behind it and then uh you know i said to her when she came out of this uh, state i said well julia that's a uh pseudonym i've given her when i've written about her i said julia um you know, do you remember what just happened? And she goes, "No, I. Why? Why are we in a different? Why are we in a different neighborhood now? What happened?" And you know, it was explained to her that she had gone into this trance, and this voice came out of her, which she knew. I mean, that's why she she had come to the priest in the first place for help because she knew she was possessed. I mean, she had no doubt about it. But to get back to my conversation over the phone with this uh, assistant exorcist, he's trying to convince me to. Uh, uh, attend one of the exorcisms if I could. And, you know, I was a busy guy, had a family, etc. So, um, you know, I really couldn't go to the exorcism and I had to tell him that. But in the middle of our phone conversation, while this woman was approximately a thousand miles away, she had gone back home. You know, we obviously knew where she lived. She was not, she was not in the area. This was not a cell phone. She couldn't come in over the, the, the landline. That same voice came in over the phone, and uh, oh. you know the the voice said, uh, "You know, you 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 effing priest. We said to leave her alone. She belongs to us." And uh, you know, I was pretty taken aback by this. And uh, you know, I said to the I said to the priest, I, the priest exorcist, who was the assistant. I said, I said, you know, did you hear that? He goes, yeah, this is a this is a really, really, really dramatic case. So these things happen. So he had he took it with a little bit of a plum because this had occurred to him before. So uh, again, there were there were these these paranormal stuff. I'll tell you one more quick example. Uh, she had the paranormal ability. I mean, we would say the demonic ability, but. She, People in today's world like to use a neutral term like paranormal. She had the paranormal ability, which is called remote viewing. In other words, it's the it's the ability that certain psychic people have of being able to see things from a distance. So she had told me that she told me about that power that she felt she had several times. Uh, I probably should preface it by saying this: this was a very committed Satanist. She was a high priestess of a satanic cult. She called herself the queen of a satanic cult. Now, wow. I don't see Satanists lurking behind every corner. 
just mm-hmm. as demonic possession is rare, Satanism is rare. But people are naive if they think there are none, there is none of this. There are a few That's Satanists, and uh, you know they feel that in part uh, they get certain privileges from Satan, including you know psychic abilities or paranormal powers. So she had often bragged to me that she had this power of being able to see things from a distance. So, uh, so I, you know, I was always a little skeptical of it. So uh, she said, "Well, uh, Dr. Gallagher, uh, I can see the chief exorcist." Now, this was this was a different guy. This is probably the most experienced exorcist, in my opinion, in American history. And she said, "I can see the guy." And I said, "What do you mean you can see the guy? You know, I mean he's." 50 miles away. She said, no, I can see him. I, I said, okay. Uh, I don't think I said Miss Smarty Pants, but that was, that was my attitude. <laughs> uh, you know, I said, I said, tell me, uh-huh. you know, tell me, tell me. So she goes, well, he's walking along the beach and he's saying his daily prayers. Uh, and I said, and what is he dressed in? He said he's. He, she said he's dressed in khakis, and um, he has a, a windbreaker on. I said, "What color, blue?" So I said, "Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Julia. I'm going to call him up. You know, I mean, he had a cell phone, and uh, um, this time, you know, I had my cell phone, and I called him up, and I said." Uh, uh, Father A. He used to call himself Father A because he didn't like using his name with anybody. Uh, uh, certainly not with Satanist. So he <laughs> he, he he said, um, I said, uh, you know, uh, hi Father. This is uh, Rich Gallagher. Uh, uh, what are you doing? And you know, he took it like as a friendly question, and he said, Well, I'm saying my breviary, which is the the prayers that. Catholic priests say every day, I'm saying my breviary uh, at the beach. Uh, He said, I usually, you know, I usually say it in my own uh, home, but, uh, you know, I decided to take a walk along the beach. And I said, well, and what are you wearing? And he said, you know, I have on my khakis and, you know, I put it's a little, it's a little cool. So I put on my uh, windbreaker and I said, and what color is the windbreaker? And he goes, Oh, I know what's going on. He said, you're talking to Julia, right? Uh, and I said, yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I said, I still want to know what color is your windbreaker. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, it's blue. And, wow. and then he's, and then I remember what he said to me. He said, he said, she is something else, isn't she? So, you know, these are the kinds of things that, um, you know, this was a, this was a more dramatic case than, than the usual, uh, during her exorcism, she spoke foreign languages, uh, or the entity possessing her spoke foreign languages while she was in a trance. Um, all kinds of weird things happened in the room. Uh, I didn't go to this exorcism, but this is about eight or nine people described it to me, and I, I hardly think that they were all just, you know, making things up. And and right. remarkably, during during one of these exorcisms which I had been invited to but couldn't go to, uh, about seven or eight people swore that she levitated uh, off 
off the chair in which she was uh, undergoing the exorcism uh, for about for about thirty minutes. And that, oh, that's nice. not the only that's not the only case of of levitation I've heard. I've heard from a number of priests and uh, and a number of victims. I'm going to call them victims of possession. Uh, exactly the same thing. Now, you know, people often say, well, you know, it's an optical illusion, or these people are lying, or blah blah blah. I mean, you know, after a while, I mean, when you hear these kinds of stories from hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, you know, I've been at meetings in uh, Europe where there is three or four hundred exorcists, all of all of whom have similar stories, although, you know, some of them are more reluctant to speak out. Uh, you know, you begin to say, well, these things obviously exist. And that is that is my impression. These things obviously exist. You want to put a different interpretation on them, fine. But to me, they're they're obviously evil spirits. And we agree with you. We think you're absolutely right. You have an accurate assessment of the situation, and certainly you have the skills to be able to determine, is this mental illness, and does it need to be treated medically, or is this, in fact, a possession? So you're you're right. one of those rare people who do that, which which is so valuable. And I'm sure I know you really do want to help people. That's that's obvious. And now let me ask you a question about this uh, this woman that you call Julia. In these exorcisms, did they did she ever identify what had taken control of her? Did she have a, a demonic name that she gave to the exorcist in the room and said this is so and so, or not? Yeah, she did. And and again, this was a uh she wasn't a highly educated woman, but she was a pretty sharp lady. And uh you know, she was with it and uh, she had no history of mental illness or anything. And she uh, told me, she said I know I'm possessed and I don't like it. And I said, mm-hmm. uh, "Julia, why are you possessed, do you think?" And she said, "I know because I I I'm a satanist. I worship Satan." And so she knew she was possessed. She knew that this demon or demons, um, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to tell. And she did have some, you know, names for who she thought was possessing her. Um, I don't tend to believe a word that demons say. So, you know, I never quite know uh, if they're giving accurate information or not. But you know, clearly they identified themselves as demons who were possessing her. And and she would be in a trance at the time, so it was only afterwards that people would tell her that. But, you know, she was certainly darn sure that, that she was possessed and she wanted to get rid of this possession. That that was her goal. That That's why she agreed to see the priest. And did she turn up with, I know there's a lot of stories about uh, people that are possessed and they have scratches on their body, that they lose their appetite, they stop eating. Was any of that going on with her or not? Well, she felt a little protected, actually, because she had devoted herself to Satan. So she didn't quite have that. She had some unpleasant experiences. Uh, Mm -hmm. For instance, she told me once that she felt... uh, Satan would punish her with fire, which was kind of interesting if you think about it. And um, she did She did at times feel that she was in a great deal of pain. Um, so she had, she had different uh, phenomena. I mean, a lot of possessions are, are different than each other. I mean, there are some common features. The traditional criteria essentially involve the... Uh, 
witnessing of a entity, a creature, who not only hates religion and all spiritual things, so you'll see a lot of cursing and complaining about anything sacred or religious, but also who has some powers of a separate entity. So this is why you get, and I've, I've seen this, uh, I've heard this myself many times, demons either speaking in or understanding a foreign language. Uh, that I've witnessed myself directly many times because I've been to many exorcisms. And uh, they also often know things about people that they obviously wouldn't know. Uh, for instance, Julia knew exactly how my mother died, uh, which was of, of ovarian cancer. And uh, she told me that once. And, you know, people say, well, maybe she looked it up or something. I mean, it, it's kind of absurd that she would look it up. But even if you believe that, she knew she knew how 15 other people's mothers or parents had died. So, uh, you know, she wasn't going to libraries looking up this information. So she clearly exactly. she clearly had possession of what's sometimes called uh, in Latin latra, meaning uh, hidden knowledge about things. Um, you know, she she could see people at a distance. She could. Um, you know, struggle for hours and hours against the exorcism. She levitated. Um, she spoke foreign languages during the exorcism. Uh, you know, what what does this indicate? Well, it indicates that there's a, uh, a supernormal creature involved. You know, human beings exactly. can't do that stuff. And people sometimes throw out these theories, well, you know, the amazing capacities of the human mind. Yeah, well, <laughs> we don't see it. Otherwise, uh, people, uh, you know, human, humans don't have those powers. Uh, spirits do. And so, you know, you're clearly dealing with a spirit. And uh, the traditional criteria of hidden knowledge and foreign languages and all this stuff, it, it, what it really indicates is there is a separate spiritual being who is, uh, you know, being engaged in these, in these exorcisms. And that's, that's the criteria. You know, people Makes sometimes sense. have the no. yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, people sometimes have the uh, mistaken impression, you know, well, this is all intuitive or this is all, uh, you know, mumbo jumbo. I mean, uh, at least most of the soundest exorcists and clergy members, uh, you know, they insist on very strict criteria. They're not just pulling this discernment out of their hat. And these are the these are the kind of criteria that you see over and over again in these in these uh, people who are possessed. Do they take up multiple personalities at any time? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. I said, do they at times take out of multiple personalities? Well, again, that's one of the things you have to distinguish. Uh, you know, genuine cases of possession where there is this personality and there could even mm -hmm. be several personalities because there may be more than one demon. Um, but it's, in my experience, uh, and again, you know, I happen clinically to be in a very experienced psychiatrist, so I've seen, you know, scores of cases of so-called multiple personality, which we now mm -hmm. call dissociative identity disorder. They're not the same. I mean, you know, okay. the people the people with dissociative identity disorders, 
you know, often they've been abused, not always, but often. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, their personality is kind of split. You, you might say psychoanalytically, this represents different sides of a disturbed personality. And it's quite clear that that's a very different thing than what we're talking about here. Okay. Uh, again, I, I, I've seen, you know, over 100 cases of so-called multiple personality disorder, which in itself is a controversial diagnosis for various reasons. But I've seen many of those cases, you know, and I've certainly never seen any of them speak foreign languages or levitate or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, these, and, are the kinds of, these are the kinds of criteria uh, following which you can clearly distinguish the two things. And what about the strength? Because I know that's something that uh, you also, I also saw in some of the articles about your work, that priests, exorcists have seen people that have this incredible strength that they just can't explain. I know in one article they talked about a very small woman in stature, 90 pounds, who threw a 200-pound priest across the room. So is that one of the you yeah, that, that may have been that may have been something I reported on because I knew a woman who was again clearly possessed, and um, she was dealing with a with her Protestant minister. Uh, I think it was a deacon, actually, Lutheran deacon, and uh, they did, really didn't take you know they didn't have much experience in working with these cases, so they really didn't take very much in the way of precautions. They felt she was possessed, and they were doing some kind of you know deliverance ritual. And all of a sudden, the demon, you know, took over the uh, 90-pound soaking wet woman, and she attacked the uh, she attacked the deacon and threw him, threw him across the room, and he was about 200 pounds. <clears throat> so, you know, wow. those those things happen, and and again, there, there are other stuff too. This is a woman who, you know, eventually uh, uh, requested an exorcism of a Catholic priest, and the Catholic priest was. Um, um, saying some Latin prayers, and I, wa- I was at that exorcism. And it was quite clear that this woman, who hadn't been brought up Catholic, didn't know Latin, had never studied languages, um, you know, she was clearly following the prayers. Uh, and she was commenting on it sarcastically in English. <laughs> Uh, oh, so the priest goodness. the priest would say, uh, you know, credo in unum deum, you know, I believe in one God. And uh, the woman would say, I, I sure don't, in English. <laughs> so, so sometimes sometimes the uh, possessing spirit, sometimes the possessing spirit will speak the foreign language themselves. You know, I remember mm-hmm. talking to a uh, Bulgarian um um, uh, an exorcist of a, of a Bulgarian background, and he said to me, you know, he said this this spirit was speaking fluent Bulgarian to me, even though the woman had no connection with Bulgaria. Um, uh, in this case of this particular woman, because uh, it was the same woman who tossed the, much to his surprise, tossed, tossed the Lutheran deacon across the room, and she was also the one who... Uh, was commenting sarcastically on the Latin prayers, um, what will happen is the person may speak the language themselves. And I've I've heard demons speak Latin, ancient Greek. You know, they can speak all languages, actually, uh, 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 because they're very intelligent. They've been around for millennia, and they, they like to show off, I think. Uh, so 
in this case, you know, this this woman was not speaking the language, um, but clearly was understanding it, and that that you'll see that a lot too. That that they understand prayers of a different, uh, you know, faith tradition, or you know, if they're in, yeah. yeah. Demons are. I mean, can you give us some insights as to what these things are that come and take over a person's body like this? What are these things? Well, again, not everybody's going to agree with me, but uh, I'm I'm absolutely convinced these are fallen angels. That these are oh. angels who went bad. Uh, you know, angels are like human beings. I mean, you know, some of them have turned to God and goodness, and some of them have turned to evil. I mean, uh, you know, there's Mother Teresa's in the world, and there's Hitler's in the world. You know, human beings have the freedom to choose. And the the presumption is, you know, at some point in uh, prehistory or whatever, um, you know, uh, angels were, were had freedom of choice. Some of them chose to follow God, some of them chose to rebel. And, uh, you know, they're kind of corrupted and sadistic and uh, mean-spirited. And uh, some people think they they hate God and they hate the fact that human beings can still turn to God. And, and, and so they hate kind of uh, humans' ability to, to love and to turn to God. And... Uh, they want to attack us and, and destroy us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the best explanation. Yeah, I, I like that. And and also, you know, the way they taunt the priests and the exorcists is, is just incredible. I mean, their level of, of sadism, as you mentioned, is quite high. It, it's, they it's, sadism. It, it's sadism. I mean, as a psychoanalyst, I understand that certain human beings are very sadistic and they get some kind of human beings get some kind of pleasure or perverse satisfaction out of sadism and uh, again you know these demons are the same uh, I guess they don't have too much fun in life but uh, you know they can they can they, they can they can get their jollies a little bit at uh, trying to destroy uh, uh, human beings presumably under some kind of authority and uh, traditionally that's been thought to be the authority of Satan now, what is it that, I mean, as you look at these people that have had this very rare experience, do you think that there's a commonality in their personalities that kind of draws this de- demon to them? There's something about these people that you can draw, a, you know, the point well, of the people a lot of people can get attacked by evil spirits. And again, this is not just you know reported in Christian history. This has been reported all throughout history, all religions. Uh, you know, there, there was a famous German um, professor. His name was Traugott Osterreich. And about 100 years ago, he wrote probably the, the magisterial text on possession. And, you know, it's found in all cultures. Anthropologists report these things. The ancient Greeks reported it, you know, um, it reported in underdeveloped areas of the world as well as in the modern world, which is what I write about in my in my book, Demonic Foes. Um, 
which if I can mention, you know, it's it's going to be published probably in the fall by HarperCollins. Um, but so these, you know, these these phenomena are 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 kind of found in all cultures, and um, then there are lesser types of demonic attack too, not just possessions. People have different terms for them: oppression, vexation, you know. And you know, very good people can often, as they actually try to become very holy or something, they may get attacked, but they don't get possessed. The people who get right. possessed tend to be the people who have explicitly turned to evil and occult forces. Uh, now, obviously, the classic example is the one I just talked about, Julia. She was a Satanist. Uh, right. That's why she became possessed. In a way, she brought the possession on herself. Uh, but other people who who have, uh, you know, I remember talking to a uh, uh, a criminal. Um, he was a gangster, and you know he had done a lot of very evil things in in his life. He was in jail for quite a while, and uh, you know he told me that when he was young, he had turned to different occult uh, powers that he thought would make him more successful. And uh, in a sense, he, you know, compromised his um, being by saying, you know, you, you know, you give, you make me the uh, richest gangster, and you know, the gangster with the most women and the best cars, and you know, you can have me. Dark forces, mm -hmm. as he understood them, and he became possessed. Uh, his oh, wife, yeah. his, his wife did tell me that uh, she saw him levitate and uh, speak speak Latin, and so he was clearly possessed. And um, that, in some ways, is kind of the modal way that in, in which in which somebody becomes possessed. They've turned to evil. They've turned to, you know dark forces, uh, which they may not even be aware of what they're really doing, but in effect they're they're turning to the demonic world or evil spirits, and then they get in over their head and they're possessed. It just doesn't happen. Well, you know, it doesn't go around happen to your average person, you know. Right. There's something that allows them to crack into that world, and that world comes rushing forward to take them. But it, it must because they, I have, because they have Because they have opened themselves up to it, usually. They have, yes, exactly. And turn and to I evil, think, and turn to sin, how, and turn to evil. Right, and it sounds like it, it's coming with people that have a sense of uh, profound powerlessness, and they want to be powerful, so that they then call this energy to them, so that they feel whatever they need to feel powerful. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I would, ag I would agree with that. That's certainly one scenario, but you know, there are other people who just, you know, they want to. You know, they want to be king of the hill. You know, they want to. They're they're not happy being a gangster. They want to be the chief gangster. So they'll they'll pray to these darker powers. Um, you know, some of the uh, South American you know gangs have been very involved with um, uh, turning to to Satanism. MS13, for instance, you know, is widely known for uh, having occult rituals. Uh, which they feel protects them, and so uh, 
I, I guess you could yeah. say, yeah, or a sense of powerlessness. But I, I think I think people's motives for turning to evil is is mixed. Different yeah, motives. Absolutely. CK, did you have a question? Yeah, it was funny. Do when they turn to uh, the evil side of it, can they? Just well, I shouldn't say justify. When they when they turn to the evil side of it, they build that up to give it more power. How once they start that, how do they get? If they wish to, how do they get out of it? Well, they, they, the 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 most important thing, because you know people can think exorcism is a magic ceremony. It's not a magic ceremony. This is not like a witch doctor, you know. Um, the prayers of exorcisms can be quite helpful, but the person to renounce the evil themselves. Mm-hmm. And part, part, part of what, part of why they may turn to an exorcism is they may well want to renounce evil, but they also have to develop themselves spiritually. They have to turn to prayer and to God, and you know to. Often, you know, religious practice is very, very helpful, and they have to renounce it. The reason Julia was never delivered, was never truly exercised, is because she never did that. She wanted an exorcism. You know, in medicine we call, you know, people want the magic bullet, you know. They may have a mental illness, and they they just want that magic pill that's going to cure everything. It doesn't work that way. Medications are very helpful, sometimes indispensable, but still the person has to kind of work at their underlying uh, psychological problems. It's it's the exact same with uh, on the spiritual level. Uh, these people have to work on themselves spiritually. And if, they're, if, they, if they don't turn away from Satanism, and Julia never fully turned away from Satanism, you know, what did she expect? She's not going to be, she's not going to be freed. And she wasn't mm-hmm. freed. Uh, we think she died in a state of, you know, state of possession. How sad. What happens? Does anybody have a sense of what happens to these people if they die in a state of possession? Are they just taken uh, well, under? Well, uh, again, again, the, the 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 teaching of the church is that at some point you can be possessed and really want to get rid of it. It just doesn't happen while you're still alive. So, you know, we never judge anybody, you know, we don't know how God judges these people. I mean, maybe the possession is in a way part of their trial or punishment for their evil ways earlier in their life or something. So, you know, we don't give up hope for anybody. We leave that up to God. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, wonderful. Well, we're going to take a very short commercial break. I even hate to do this because I'm so fascinated by everything you're saying, Dr. Gallagher, this is it's, it, we are so grateful that you've come on the show tonight to share this with everybody. You're, you're a very, very special person to do this type of work so successfully. So we're going to come back in just a few minutes, everybody, and stay tuned. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. 
When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridian. Visit www.astridian.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridian, the beauty of being healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, PK, and our incredible guest tonight, we're so honored to have him with us. This is Dr. Richard Gallagher. He is an American board-certified psychiatrist. He has a new book coming out in the fall, which I know we cannot wait to get our hands on. It's called Demonic Foes. A Psychiatrist Investigates Demonic Possession in the Modern United States. And we are learning so much tonight about the world of exorcism and possession. 
Now, Dr. Gallagher, what's the success rate with exorcists? How many times do you see that work or not? I mean, give us some idea of the success on it. Well, look, uh, as as I'm sure you can appreciate, it's a little hard to quantify that that sort of thing. But uh, I, I would say most most people who follow through with the spiritual advice they're given, in addition to uh, agreeing to the exorcisms, because it does really require a whole spiritual journey. It's not just the magic prayers of the exorcism. As I've said, uh, exorcism is not magic. It's part of a uh, spiritual effort to to free the individual, but that also takes the cooperation of the individual, uh, as was certainly evidenced by uh, Julia's case. Um, and and most of the people who really work at it and and who follow the guidelines given to them, uh, they are delivered. Most it can take. Uh, I've seen I've seen people who are delivered in a very very short amount of time, and then other cases may take much, much longer. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just this whole field is so amazing, and I hear that the Catholic Church is actually training more exorcists. Is that true? Yeah. Um, I think in part because there's now so much attention about these sort of things that uh, a lot of people uh, you know, who may not be possessed are thinking they're possessed. Uh, and they're and they're they're importuning the uh, the church for help. So there there needs to be more people to to meet that need. Um, again, possession itself is is quite rare, and it should always be kept in mind. You know, it should not be diagnosed lightly. Now I have some questions that have popped up in the chat room for you, and somebody would like to know, in your experience with people that have been to that. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever felt fear in the presence of someone who is possessed by a demon? Well, I'd put it a little bit differently. I mean, I've certainly had a creepy feeling. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I've certainly had a feeling of, uh, in some in some senses, uh, you know, boy, this is really weird, and this is, in some cases, repugnant. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I certainly don't, you know, brag about my, my own state of mind or anything, but, you know, I do practice my faith and I kind of feel I'm on the winning side. So, uh, you know, I think we're supposed to have confidence. Uh, we're not supposed to cringe and fear of these things if we if we ourselves are you know turning to to our lord and uh asking his help and protection so uh you know as a whole um i think by this point you know i've had an unusually high level of experience because even a lot of exorcists they're kind of tied to their diocese or their area so they don't really see that many cases whereas for better or for worse, because people have consulted me from all over the world, you know, and because originally there were very few exorcists in the United States, so I would see many, many cases as they would travel around the country. Um, You know, I've seen so many cases now, 
in in my life, even even if they're rare in themselves, that I, I kind of just take it for granted at this point. Uh, although I, I also would not do this work unless I had a lot of you know people praying for me. I just wouldn't do it. Do you find that now men or, or women may be more prone to this? There are some people who who think that. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I've certainly seen a lot of possessed men. Uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, gangster a little while ago. He was mm-hmm. certainly a very macho guy. Uh, so it, it can happen, you know, to both genders. Uh, um, I don't know. You know, in psychiatry, we, we realize that uh, women uh, are more prone to ask for help. So it may be that the cases that people see or hear about um, are more often women because women more often may seek help. Uh, uh, Although, you know, for some reason, you know, God knows why, you know, there are other, you know, experts who think somehow uh, women are attacked, you know, more often. So. You know, those are kinds of interesting questions that I'm not sure anybody really has the definitive answer. Is there a question a person could, could wear that would, uh, say, negate a demonic uh, possession? I'm not sure I understand the question. Could you could you just uh, say it again? Sometimes a person wears different spiritual uh, medals or things of that nature. Is there something a person could wear that would be more protective of, for them of a dramatic? Uh, you know, I think I think almost all kinds of religious practices are helpful. Uh, one doesn't want to be simplistic or superstitious about it, but I, I I think if you if in good faith, you know, you uh, attend church and pray and 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 you know. Take advantage of um, you know religious paraphernalia of one sort or another. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think that stuff is all somewhat protective. But again, I, I I don't want to give people the impression that you know some good religious person is is likely to just all of a sudden get possessed. You know that 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 doesn't tend to happen. That doesn't mean, by the way, that that even good people can't be attacked in some way, but it's it's much more minor attacks than than uh, possession. And what about uh, people that have, have has anybody died during exorcism? That's a question from the chat room. Also, has anybody passed away in you know undergoing something like this? Um, I've certainly never seen it. And I, I I don't normally think that that's would be likely. Now there there are people who practice exorcism who are untrained, people who may be confused themselves, and people who may use you know ridiculous techniques like trying to beat an evil spirit out of someone. Uh, those are often lay people. Those are not often trained clergy who are conducting those things. Uh, so uh, there are certainly reports of abuse, abuses of exorcism. I mean, you know, no, no spirit is going to leave because of violence. Uh, mm-hmm. If violence is used in exorcisms, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a perversion, and it's and it's also ineffective. 
You know, these are spiritual problems. They have to be dealt with by spiritual means. So if properly conducted, uh, and and a lot of these people, if they're in bad health or something, you know, they need to be checked out by a physician, even for their physical health. Um, you know, it's unlikely to, to happen in a, in a properly conducted exorcism, although I've heard of abuses where, you know, people by ignorant uh, practitioners, um, you know, may have uh, caused real harm to the individual physically because they don't know what they're doing. And in pagan cultures where, you know, they also try to do exorcisms, uh, often they use, you know, very primitive, uh, uh, dangerous methods which have no place in this field. Yes, a very good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely important. So, yeah, definitely nothing to play with. Right. No, you have to have this training and the, the, the skills to be able to handle this appropriately. Now, what and, about and I would just I would just say, you know, just to follow up on that, you you have to you have to you have to be very intelligent and use strict criteria. You're not just you know, intuiting that people are possessed and then, you know, doing something about it. And people sometimes say, is this anti-scientific? Well, of course it's not anti-scientific. You know, this is, uh, I believe, in demonic possession, uh, not because of, you know, preconceptions or intuition or something. I believe because uh, I've seen very clear evidence. And, And in fact, if you look throughout history, uh, people sometimes uh, find this hard to believe. The the evidence for genuine demonic possession is actually very powerful. It's it's massive. It's been available in documents for centuries. And it's also not. People sometimes say, "Well, isn't it a kind of a fringe belief?" Well, it, it may be a fringe belief in your subculture, but it's not a fringe belief in history, uh, or in America for that matter. You know, these phenomena have been reported throughout all history. Uh, including by, uh, you know, many, many professional anthropologists. 70% of Americans believe in the devil, and a majority believe in demonic activity. A majority of Americans believe in demonic activity, the possibility of demonic attacks. So I sometimes say to people, uh, uh, who's out of the mainstream here, you know? I don't regard myself as out of the mainstream. I don't regard this as a fringe belief. I regard this as a common belief throughout all history. Very good point. Yes, point well taken. I love that. That's perfect. Now, what about the the movie that brought it all into our consciousness in contemporary culture, The Exorcist? Do you know right. anything about the real case, about what happened? Because it was based on a true yeah. story, right? Yeah, there's some dispute, uh, and, you know, like human nature being what it is, there's disputes about everything, right? (laughs) You never get unanimity. But uh, this appears to have been based on a case, and uh, um, uh, a fair amount is now known about it, of a case from Maryland. Uh, It was a boy, uh, and, um, you know, he was involved in the occult and, and... some sort of way, and then very weird paranormal phenomena occurred in his house, uh, according to one person's report, witnessed by about 50 people. 
And then eventually he became possessed. He was uh, treated by different religious uh, groups, uh, eventually uh, came to the attention of uh, Catholic priests uh, who had a difficult time with him. Uh, And in fact, it wasn't until uh, at least uh, some long period later where he eventually had uh, successful exorcisms out in St. Louis and was delivered and then went on to lead a uh, very normal life. Now, Again, like everything else, human beings uh, being what they are, some people challenge that story. But I, I think the facts are actually, uh, you know, uh, have, as they've been presented to me. And I, I, I knew a, a priest who had some involvement in one of the cases, one of the exorcisms. Uh, I, I, I think that's, I think that's a, a credible report of a exorcism that uh, the author Blatty took and modeled and changed, changed around a little bit, and made it a the girl Reagan in the movie. He also he yeah. also based it on some other historical exorcism, so it wasn't all based on this one case. It's a great movie, that's for sure, and it brought that all into our consciousness. That's for sure. Yeah, I'll never forget that. What about yeah, the yeah. No, I, th- I think it actually had. I think it actually had, uh, especially for a movie, it had a um, a widespread cultural impact, unusual for a movie. Now, yeah. for good and evil, for good and bad, because, mm-hmm. you know, on the one hand, it maybe alerted people to the, the possible reality of these phenomena and the way to the way to address them. But, you know, it also probably made some vulnerable people uh, exaggerate the amount of these cases that actually exist. And what nothing about in, the not, nothing in life is simple, right? No, well, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. But that's why you're here to help us understand all of this. Now, the Emily Rose case do you, uh, was that based on a true story, also? Oh, absolutely. That was based on a German case of uh, I don't know, forty years ago or so, I think. Uh, and it was uh, a case of it. Uh, again, the facts of that case are, are also disputed, but but fairly, a lot of them are fairly well known facts. It was a woman named Annalise Michel, who, uh, you know, certainly she and her parents and uh, a number of uh, priests in Germany at the time uh, thought that uh, she was possessed. And, um, you know, I've seen evidence. I've talked to Europeans who knew the case uh, directly, and they, they all tell me that that's what they believed and still believe. What was unfortunate in that case, in my opinion, is that uh, Annalise did not, and her family did not trust um, doctors, and she fasted. I think she thought that she should fast, and unfortunately she died because of that Mm. before she was delivered. And the priests, the two German priests who were involved, um, actually were convicted of a crime. Um, Now, they got off you know, with probation, uh, they didn't serve time in prison. Um, I think that that happened because the family and the victim herself and Elias Michelle, uh, didn't want anything to do with doctors and, um, didn't want to go to a hospital, although she clearly had some medical problems. Um, and, and so as she kind of slowly starved herself to death uh, from the fasting, um, um, somebody should have to, to die. 
Well, somebody should have intervened. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody oh, yeah. should have forced her. And uh, and that was the tragedy. Uh, I mean, I had a case once where, where uh, this guy, he was not possessed, but he was demonically attacked in more minor ways. And he told me that he was convinced he shouldn't eat. And uh, again, this was not a patient of mine, but I said to his family, I said, you know, he's not eating. You've got to get him into a hospital. And they put him into a hospital, and his life was saved. My God. That's so, you know, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, you need to use your common sense. People need to use their common sense. And, you know, like a lot of human beings, you know, they get certain fixed ideas in their head. This is what God wants me to do or something. Well, God doesn't want you to starve to death. So, uh, no. you know, you, you have to you have to use your common sense. And if, if, if this is another reason why, you know, physicians should be involved in these cases, at least as consultants, because... You know, things can happen if uh, if people neglect, uh, you know, common sense in their health. And that's what right. I think happened. Yep. That's what I think happened in the Anna Lee's case. I think she so mistrusted, she and her family so mistrusted doctors who, you know, I'm sure we're telling her, you know, your daughter's schizophrenic or whatever, um, that, you know, they, they didn't want to seek any medical help uh, or hospitalization when it was clearly needed. It was a tragedy, and it was also a tragedy because, you know, it became a notorious case, and a lot of the uh, German um, hierarchy uh, wouldn't allow wouldn't allow exorcisms for many years. Yeah. You find that people are more prone to uh, look into it at this point in time as they have more so than in the past. Well, I think so, uh, and I think the impact of all the movies and television shows about this stuff has had that effect that people no longer think it's quite so strange or or, or uncommon uh, as they would have, say, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, but on the other hand, again, that, that can be good, but that can also, you know, cause problems. Nothing in life is simple because you don't want you don't want everybody who especially people with mental illness, uh, you know, you don't want them all thinking, oh, my God, all I need is an exorcist. I mean, that's, you know, that can become a real danger because then they they neglect getting the medical or psychiatric help they need and they just Mm -hmm. want some magic answer. And that happens. That happens a lot. What do you recommend for somebody who who thinks that this is happening to them? What would be a kind of a step-by-step for healing? Well, the best thing would be to consult, uh, you know, whatever their religion, to consult a, a, a knowledgeable clergy member that they can find uh, who can help them to evaluate it and also to find, uh, you know, a truly open-minded um, position. Uh, and if those people need to talk to each other, they should talk to each other and help discern, you know, whether this is uh, a medical illness, a, uh, a psychiatric uh, problem, or or something truly demonic. Uh, you need that. You need that. Uh, you know, reliance on people with experience, uh, whether it's clergy or or uh, uh, medical people. Uh, who have some experience in this area, and I'm, I'm not the only one. Um, and uh, then to take it from there, and then and then they need to realize, you know, uh, it's not 
you know, to reemphasize once again, it's not a magic ceremony. You know, it's not it's not an incantation where all their problems are going to go away. They have to work at it too, and by that I mean they have to use the ordinary means of of spiritual help. You know, uh, religious right. practices, uh, prayer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right, that makes sense. Now, it's a process. Were... It, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's a process. Right. And they they have to be prepared to recognize this is a complex phenomena. It's a spiritual problem. Uh, and, you know, they have to then use the proper hmm. medical and religious expertise to help get them out of that. Right. Now, there were two people mentioned in an article I was reading about uh, you that were also... I don't know if they were psychiatrists or psychologists, but they didn't believe in any of this. And yet they treated somebody who was possessed. And in fact, they each went back to their respective residences and had paranormal, the same types of paranormal events happening. Are you familiar with this and what happened to them? Um well, I'm not I'm not sure I know exactly what you're referring to. I would say about the critics of these things, um they really haven't seen these cases. I mean, you know, you you mentioned that something happened in these cases to these people, but you know, most of the time the the people who are critics uh in my experience have simply never seen a case. Uh or or perhaps you know, even more strikingly, they've never even spoken to an experienced exorcist. I mean, there there are exorcists in this country, I mean, who speak out publicly. I'll mention two of them. There's uh, Father Thomas in California and there's Father Lampert in this country. The only reason I mention their names, because I almost never mention anybody's names, is because they have publicly speaking sp- spoken out. So I go to this meeting, you know, in, in Europe every couple of years, and, you know, there's hundreds of these people. There are probably, uh, you know, a few thousand in the whole world. I mean, if you're going to criticize these cases, just <laughs> make sure you speak to these people and, 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 and actually evaluate the evidence without just drawing a, a, a preconception. Uh, now, admittedly, you know, uh, many psychiatrists are, are, are skeptical because they're dealing with deluded patients or patients who are hallucinating the voice of a devil or something. So, you know, they tend to overgeneralize. But if you're going to, if you're going to claim that, you know, you know better than, uh, uh, everybody else and that all this stuff is a load of nonsense. Well, at least you should try to, uh, you know, see a genuine case or, or speak to people who have genuine experience. And in my opinion, the critics, uh, just repeat the same tired arguments over and over again. You know, they say, well, you know, these, these people who are given, uh, Hidden knowledge are just cold readers, this sort of thing. They're just reading people like the mentalist in that TV show. Uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of absurd. Uh, uh, I, I myself have talked to many, many people who, uh, you know, give me all kinds of information that there's just no, there's just no possible way they they could have guessed this stuff. You know, you think this woman could look at my face and say, well, your mother died of ovarian cancer. I mean, you know, it's just, it, 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 it's just implausible. It's implausible. 
That's right. That's but right. Did, no, did, you have another, did you have another point about those people that you were uh, referring to? They were non-believers. They were skeptics. And then they had this case. And I guess what was happening is they were each going to their respective homes. And the same events were happening, lights going on and off, uh, drawers opening by themselves and closing by themselves. And when they started talking to each other about it, they were shocked to learn that each of them had experienced the same things separately. And that's what turned them around. Yeah, no, I, I have heard of situations like that. And uh, and yet other people, you know, I think they just they never learn even from, you know, weird experiences like that. So. Yeah, it's a complicated world, and you know, we I believe in freedom of religion, and people have their own views about these things. What I what I what I just do find is that when I've talked to, to you know the real sort of doctrinaire critics, they they they've simply never seen a case, or or they expect you to have like this evidence that is unrealistic. I mean, you know, they'll often say, well, you know, I, I won't believe it until there's a videotape. Well. You know, evil spirits are not going to perform for the camera. You know, they're, they're smart. They're not. They're not. They're not like some exhibitionist Hollywood actor who's who's you know ready to exhibit themselves. I mean, after all, you know, they spend a lot of time both attacking people, but also kind of hiding and confusing people. I mean, they're inveterate liars. They they confuse people. They're not. They're not just going to demonstrate for you know uh, a videotape to be presented on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> it just you know. So I I think it's quite naive. I mean, in my opinion, I mean I would never videotape anybody because it's uh, it's a violation of privacy. But uh, you know there have been people who've tried to do that, and sometimes later the tape turns out to be blank. But you know, you have to. You, you can't expect that type of evidence. But you know, you could talk to hundreds and hundreds of people. These people are not hiding under rocks. You can talk to hundreds of exorcists or, or just you know, good-hearted lay people who have, uh, who have uh, witnessed these things. And uh, you know, those people are perfectly willing to to talk to people. Exactly. And these demons, they seem to like working under the cover of darkness. So, of course, they're not going to exactly do what you just said. It's strange because, you know, as people point out, sometimes they make themselves manifest and sometimes they don't. So, uh, you know, they seem to to, you know, hide. I mean, the famous quote from from the French poet Baudelaire was, uh, the devil's greatest trick is is to convince people he doesn't exist. So that seems ah. to co that seems to coexist at the same time that for some people they they certainly do manifest themselves. You know. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It's, exactly. You know, oh it's all goodness. it's all part of a great mystery that you know we we to quote a famous uh, passage uh, we see through the glass darkly. We do, and but thank goodness that you have this high level of training, Dr. Gallagher, so that you have the best of both worlds here between your spiritual practice and understanding and also your medical training. I mean, you have the best of both worlds here to really take this on and make it more understandable to people that have open minds. I mean, this I can't wait for this book. I know, PK, you and I are going to be the first ones in line to get it, right? I mean, oh, this is well, well, if you want, when the book comes out, you can have me on your show again. 
Oh, we definitely will, Dr. Gallagher, because this has been such a great hour and a half with you. We can't thank you enough, I mean, really, for coming on and well, you're, explaining you're, you, a- you ask good questions, and I hope uh, I hope it was enlightening to some of your audience. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's like anything else. This is not a simple subject, but when you, when you really understand how massive the evidence is, uh, you know, you realize we, we need to have intelligent dialogue about it. We definitely do. We definitely, I mean, we know that this stuff exists. I mean, our show is all about bringing this to consciousness so that people can look at this differently and realize that we are affected oftentimes by the darker forces, but we need to start identifying what is, and that's where you come in. It's it's just been delightful having you here. Thank you so much. Well, thank and again, you, and, and and again, I I appreciate that you allow such a a lengthy, open-minded forum. Well, it's our pleasure, really. Appreciate and again, the name, of, yes, the name of your new book is "Demonic Foes: A Psychiatrist Investigates Demonic Possession in the Modern United States." It is published by Harper Collins. It will be out in the fall, and I know our entire audience is going to be waiting. For this, and we would love to have you back when the book is out, Dr. Gallagher. Thank you so very much for coming on the show tonight. Well, you're, 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 you're very welcome. Thank you. Yes, well, thank you. We'll be back in touch for sure. Now, everybody, be sure to go to our Facebook page, follow us on Facebook, sign up for our newsletter, The Fringe Files, so that you can keep track of all the things that we are doing. Next week, it's UFOs again. We will be talking about East SETI Ranch, where quite a few phenomena tend to happen quite often. You don't want to miss it. So, again, everybody, thanks for joining us. This has been a great show. And until next week, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. I know, but it, it's okay. That's why when I hear in black, I just go back and wait. That's we know it's going to be back and forth for a bit, so not don't sweat it. I don't. Well, I it is again, as I it is to, for I, the now. I'd love to get the video going again. It's so much easier when I can see you. You know. I know it. Oh, for both of us. <laughs> I know it. So we got to find a way to do that okay, again. That would be very helpful. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, honey, have a good night. Bye-bye. You too.